Hey everyone, welcome to the Oasis Church podcast. We are so honored that you would take a few minutes and you would join us, even if it's through an app on your phone right now. We're just honored that you would spend the time with us. And I want to encourage you, if you want to spend time with us in person, we would love to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at 197 Imperial Boulevard in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We would love to meet you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to serve you. So make plans to join us. But right now, I hope that you enjoy this message and we hope that it encourages you and it blesses you today. Hey, uh, we have an amazing person with us today. <laughs> and uh, listen, y'all don't have to hear me preach today. Come on, somebody. Y'all yeah. give God a hand. I'm joking. Who wooed over here? My <laughs> gosh. Uh, my mother. Okay. That <laughs> sounds about right. Hey, uh, but I am so uh, grateful uh, that Kurt is here today. Kurt, Pastor Kurt Barnes, he came in from outside of Portland, Oregon, guys. Come on. He's going to talk weird. He's, he sounds like a Canadian, but he's not. He's American. He's a red-blooded American, right? I'm joking. I'm joking. Hey, uh, but I'm so grateful for Kurt. Um, Kurt and I met at a pastor's retreat a couple years ago, um, and now that's become an annual tradition for us. That's how we get together since we live on different parts of the, in different parts of the country. We come together once a year, uh, now twice a year because of the yeah. art conference, but we, we see each other a couple times a year, and we're actually going to a conference tomorrow together, and uh, he was already flying in to go to Birmingham, so I was like, hey, flying early, come preach to our church, man. And uh, so he's here today, and here's a couple things I love about Kurt. Uh, Pastor Kurt is one of the kindest people that I know. And uh, I, I love it because he has a way of talking to you and you can just feel the peace of God. You can feel God's presence just by the way he talks because it's so genuine. And there, people can smell if you're being fake from a mile away. You know what I'm talking about? Um, with Kurt, what you see is what you get. He's so kind. He's so genuine. He's going to be perfect to talk to us today because uh, we're talking about overcoming depression. And so, Kurt, I, 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 God knew that he needed to come and deliver this message today, and I'm so grateful he's here. Um, we haven't done everything perfectly at our church, and if you've been here longer than a week, you know that. If you're here for the first time, do not be fooled, all right? <laughs> Imperfect people are in this room right now, and one of them has a microphone, and he's on the stage. Um, but uh, one thing that we have done well is we've surrounded ourselves with other pastors that are in our corner that believe in us. Kurt's one of those guys. I've called Kurt before and been like, dude, I'm struggling. I need, I need you to pray for me. I need some advice right here. And he answers the phone every time, and he always gives me a word from God. And uh, I so appreciate that in you, man. I'm so happy you're here. Um, man, he, he leads a church in Oregon that his dad started. He just took over about a year ago. And it's seen tremendous growth because he's such a great leader. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to get on your feet and welcome Kurt to the stage. Come on, y'all give him a hand, everybody. And Kurt, love you, buddy. It's going to be great. Well, Clint used the word perfect, and I promise you it will not be perfect. <clears throat> Hey, it's my privilege to be here today. It's my privilege to share uh, with Oasis Church. Uh, Clint and Stephanie are very special people. 
You guys are really blessed here uh, at this church. He's a dear, dear friend of mine, and I'm just so glad to have this opportunity to share with you guys today. Actually, I think I've got a picture here as my first slide of my family. This is my family. This is uh, our trip to the beach a couple of weeks ago. At Oregon Beach is a little different than maybe some of the beaches out on your end of the country, but you can see we're dressed appropriately for the beach. But this is my son, Keegan. Uh, he's seven years old, to be eight in July. My daughter, Kyler, she just turned five. He here in, uh, on the 4th of this month, my wife, Summer, we've been married 19 years uh, on the 17th of this month. Uh, and so um, they're just absolutely, my son is a football fanatic. I'm coaching his flag football team right now. So that's a load of fun. My daughter, gymnastics and anything, princesses and ponies. And so uh, it's, it's hard to be away from the family, but I'm so glad to not be just away from my family, to be with you all to be with family just here in a little different context today. Now, I want to talk today about a real crisis that I believe that we are having right now as a country. And one of, we, we've got a couple, you might be aware. <clears throat> but one of the crises that we are facing right now is that we're becoming increasingly isolated from each other as a people. In our not so distant past, our grandparents' generations, people flocked together in things like service clubs and social clubs, things like the Grange, the Elks Club, the Lions Club, Rotary, Bowling League, on top of weekly church attendance, on top of community social groups, because they viewed being connected with other people as an essential part of a healthy life. But in our modern world, because of our access maybe to technology, or maybe it's because we can get whatever entertainment we want from the comfort of our own couch. We don't have to leave our homes anymore. That willingness, that want to be with other people is really dwindling. And we are increasingly choosing isolation for ourselves. And actually we view uh, getting together, especially socially, as something that's like, well, if we have to. Right? If God makes us, then we'll get together with other people. But see, the tragedy of that is most people today truly don't have what they would call a true intimate spiritual friendship. That's something that's lacking in our world. In fact, it's one of the major changes coming out of this pandemic season. There was a recent study done that discovered that 49% of American Christians say that they have fewer than three close friendships. Fewer than three close friendships. And see, here's why that's a problem. Genesis 2.18 says this. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone, so I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now, I want to focus on this just for a second because I want you to think about how amazing a statement this is because this is before the fall. This is before sin entered the world. Remember, up to this point, God creates the earth, and at the end of every day, he looks at what he made, and what's he say? It is good. And everything up to this point, God said, it is good. Over here, oh, nature, it is good. The planet, it is good. Humanity, it is good. And then God saw something that caused him to say, it is not good. This is before the fall. And God looked at mankind and saw that Adam did not have a mate. Adam did not have an equal. Adam did not have someone to share an intimate, true heart-to-heart -heart relationship with. And when God looked at that, he said, this isn't good for man to be alone. Now, obviously, it was always God's plan to create Eve from the very beginning. 
But I believe the reason that he did it in this order is to show us, humanity, mankind, that we need each other, that relationships are important. And that's why I think God intentionally, even though he knew Adam was going to need a mate, he still did it in this order because he wanted to show us that we were designed for relationship. Just think about God himself. God has existed. This is what will blow your mind. For eternity past, God has existed in relationship called the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's never lacked for relationship. God has always existed in a perfect forever relationship. So God is a relational God all the way back to the beginning. Now, as we know, if you know the story, Adam and Eve's perfect relationship didn't last for very long. Okay, at some point, Adam and Eve decide to rebel against God. They sin. And in that moment, fear, shame, deception, pride, envy, jealousy, anger, confusion, depression, and a whole bunch of other stuff comes pouring in to our world and into our lives and into our minds and into our bodies, into our hearts. And everything in that moment changes. And to say our relationship changed as a result of that would be a huge understatement. See, the next thing we know, it's a crazy thing. Next thing you find out in the Bible is brothers are literally killing brothers. A family is being torn apart and relationships that once experienced perfect intimacy, perfect trust is now filled with shame and distrust and hurt and brokenness. And from this point in the story forward, all the way from uh, Genesis chapter three to the end of the book of the Revelations is all about God's great big story to restore and to reconcile mankind's relationship with God and with each other. And we know how the story ends, right? If you've read the Bible, you know how the story ends. In the end, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we ha and have declared Jesus is Lord, confessed with our mouth that, he, uh, that we are sinners and in need of a Savior, we know that for us, we will be one day fully restored, every pain gone, every relationship healed, fully restored to God's dream for our life. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more depression. These are good things, right? Looking forward to this. This is good. No more envy, no more lust. Perfect relationships restored once and for all forever. That's Yahoo. But what about the meantime? Because that's the, that's the end of the story. But what about the meantime? Because see, this is the tension that we live in right now here on this earth as Christians. See, we are living in what the Bible calls the final days. That's the period from Jesus' resurrection from the dead at Easter that we just celebrated all the way up until, well, Jesus' triumphal entry where he comes back and takes us to glory. This period of time is known as the final days. And in this final days, there's these two alternate realities playing out around us all the time. We live in a world where because of the effects of sin and death, we still see people's lives being ravished by things like cancer, by things like depression, by, by suffering. I was so aware of this on Tuesday, of all things, in the middle of the night, Monday night, I wake up and my face is on fire. I'm like, what is going on? My face was all swollen and it was, so I had to go to the emergency room at 1.30 in the morning on a Monday, Tuesday transition, only to discover I had this terrible infection in my jaw. So that was uh, quite the treat. Yeah, but just turn the lights on. I like it. That was quite the tree. I was totally aware of my need for a savior and also totally aware of the effects that Adam and Eve's sin and mankind's sin still has on our bodies. 
We live in a world where we all have experienced the reality of what sickness and death does to our life, right? But we also live in a reality that we understand that because Jesus came into this world and conquered sin and death once and for all, and on the cross he said, it is finished, and when he rose again from the dead, we now became the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, where now the living power of God is in us. And we can say with confidence the prayer that Jesus taught us, God, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's a tension in that, isn't there? There's a tension in living out this reality that God is in us, he's for us, our sins have been forgiven, but yet at the same time we'll stand next to the graveside of a loved one and grieve that they've passed away even though they were a devout follower of Jesus Christ. See, there's tension in all of this. And I think no more clearly do we see this tension playing out than in our relationships all around us. We shouldn't be surprised by this, by the way. Because see, healthy relationships between God and each other are smack dab in the middle of God's plan for our life. Here, I just love this. Isn't it cool that Jesus answered the question, what's the most important thing we should know from all of this story that's led up to this point, all this law, all these rules that you give, Jesus, what are the most important things for us to know? Jesus answered the question, Matthew 22, 36 through 40. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus said all of that, all the law, all the prophets hang on these two things, that we would love people and that we would love God. We would love God and we would love people. Jesus is telling us, friends, that it is all about relationship. Our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. So we should not be surprised that our enemy attacks relationships with such ferocity. See, the enemy hates relationship. From the very beginning, remember the original sin that happened in the garden. This was the devil's opportunity to sever the relationship between God and his kids, to put a divide in between God and us. And from that day forward, that's been his tactic. Can he sever us from each other? Can he sever you away from the Lord and from your family and from your friends and from fellow believers? Can he divide us and, you know, the old saying, divide and conquer. Can he divide us from each other so that we're vulnerable so that he can hurt us? John 10, 10 says this, Jesus speaking of the devil says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, our enemy wants to separate you away from the pack in order to isolate you from the herd. If you take the the shepherding analogy, get you away from the pack so that he can steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. That's his goal. Because see, the devil actually knows scripture too. And he knows that Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 is true. This is what it says. Two are better than one because they have a good return on their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. 
See, what he's saying here, and that's important for you and I, friends, is he's saying we're better together. We are stronger together. When we together are a church community for each other and with each other, there is incredible power in that. And the devil knows that's true too. So he does everything in his power to isolate you away from your family and from God's people. So here's the point specifically now. Clint told you I'm gonna speak about depression, but I wanted to lay that groundwork first because everything I'm going to say beyond this moment is all centered in our understanding of how we are to work together and live together in community with each other. You see, all around us in this room right now and out all around us in this world, there is a relationship crisis that's led to an incredible mental health crisis going on all around us. And most people, we don't talk about mental health very often. We don't talk about mental illness. And because we don't talk about it, that silence leads many of us to the misconception that mental health and depression is relatively rare, especially in the church. And let me just tell you, friends, you couldn't be more wrong. See, the pandemic and the isolation that it created and continues to create to this day didn't help things, but friends, this has been going long before the pandemic began. We cannot blame these statistics just on the pandemic as we like to lump everything else into that basket. If you look at the statistics on depression, friends, you'll find that they're, well, depressing. (laughs) Remember, statistics only represent the portion of people who self-report to a medical professional that they're struggling. How many more people do you think truly struggle with depression that have never gone and reported to their medical provider that they needed help? So in the United States, this, this is the Kaiser Family Foundation. And their findings are in 2023, in the United States, 32.3% of all adults age 18 plus report having uh, anxiety or depressive disorder, symptoms of anxiety or depressive disorder in 2023. But I want you to see this. Tennessee, friends, the number's 37.3%. Even higher than the average, and by quite a bit. Friends, if you understand numbers, that's almost four in 10 of your fellow Tennesseans, is that right, Tennesseans, that say we are struggling with symptoms of anxiety and depression. And here's something you need to hear. This is crazy. This is from the NIH, the National Institute of Health, says that when people struggle with mental illness, 25% of them go first to the church to look for help. It's a higher percentage of people in America with struggling with mental health that come to the church than go to psychiatrists or general practitioner doctors. When people are struggling, they're looking for answers and God is leading them to his body, the church. So that tells me that many of you who are here today might have come to church today for this very reason. You see, because all around us, right here this morning, there are people who are hurting. And it isn't it just like our enemy to prowl around looking for people who are hurting and try to isolate you away from each other. In fact, I tell my church all the time, one of the first warning signs, uh, if imagine that your life has a dashboard like your car and in your car, you know, you got that check engine light that comes on when something's going wrong. Some of you, that light's been on a long time, right? Maybe you put a sticker over the top of it so you don't see it no more. But on your life dashboard, 
One of the warning signs that things are heading for trouble is if you find yourself isolating away from other people, withdrawing away from relationships and other people. That's one of those red blinking lights that should say warning, warning, there's trouble ahead. See, because I believe the church of Jesus Christ should be the very safest place on earth for broken and hurting people to come. See, this should be the place that is an oasis for those who are hurting and those who are broken to discover grace, to discover healing, to discover family, to experience the power of our living God. And before I go any further, I gotta say right up front, friends, when we're talking mental illness, whether it's anger last week that Clint shared, me this week on depression, next week Steph sharing about anxiety, friends, I gotta tell you that these are incredibly complex human experiences and emotions. So let me give you one simple example, probably the one thing you remember from today, okay? So take this one home, simple example. Have you ever found that when you're uh, hungry, you get pretty angry? We even have a term for this now, right? What do we call it? Hangry. So being angry, that's a spiritual problem, right? That's a soul problem. People pray, like last week, that they'd be delivered over from anger. But our soul and our body are really connected with each other in an amazing way. So one of the things that's true, friends, is one of the very best, and you might, this is, might be your takeaway. For some of you, I'm gonna hear an amen. For some of you, the very best takeaway for your mental health might be that you need to get a little more sleep. Yeah, come on. <laughs> for some of you, it might be that you take a nap more often. Because here's the reality, our soul and our body, God made them connected for a reason. For some of you, when you're angry, you need a Snickers bar, right? For some of you, it's just that you need to feed yourself and take care of yourself. My dad, who's a pastor, uh, planted our church, often says to our church, one of the most spiritual things you can do to better your life on Sunday morning is go to bed earlier on Saturday night. Okay? Because I believe that our, we benefit when our physical body and our spiritual body are, are working in harmony together. Now, I'm telling you that because what I want you to know is I'm going to talk mainly about spiritual things today. But that doesn't mean that I don't believe that there are physical realities involved when we're talking about yeah. depression, yeah. anxiety, and fear. Yeah. And to that end, I'm a strong believer, and I know Clint and Stephanie are too, in seeking out professional help yes. for our mental health. Yes whether that be from counselors or psychiatrists or psychologists or general practitioners or church pastoral care or programs like uh, recovery programs, whatever it might be, God uses lots of different tools to bring about healing in our mental health. But today I'm gonna focus, because I'm a pastor, I'm gonna focus on the spiritual side of this because I believe we together as a church, we need to be aware of the physical, but we also have to really talk about and develop and grow in and walk in on the spiritual truths that we're talking about here today. So here's what I wanna do. It's just a three point message today and they're gonna go pretty quick. I want to talk to us about how the Christian community, the church, how Oasis Church can be a place where healing happens for people who are struggling with depression. I want to talk about how through the local church, God gives us the antidote spiritually to actually helping each other as we walk through this really challenging topic. Okay, so my very first point is this, is the Christian community is a source of comfort. It's a source of comfort. Here, let's just look what Paul has to say about it in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Paul says, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the same comfort we ourselves receive from God. Now, I don't know about any of you, but if you've ever walked through something challenging in life, which I guarantee every person in this room has, there's nothing to me more comforting than to have somebody come alongside of you who has walked down that road before. If you're suffering here, I think it was so brave of Steph telling your guys' story about miscarriage this week on social media. If you've experienced a miscarriage and somebody who else has experienced miscarriage walks alongside of you in that, that's an incredibly powerful thing. If you're going through a divorce and somebody who's walked that road is there. If you're struggling with the mental health of a child and somebody who's walked that road is there to stand next to you, it's incredibly comforting because we're then able to offer them the comfort that we ourselves received from God. But let's face something here, friends, if that's going to be true. If we're going to offer the comfort we ourselves have received from God, then one of the things we got to face is we got to be honest about our own current and past struggles. How can we offer someone comfort in something if we're not willing to face up to it and own it for ourselves and let God use it to help them? See, this is why I think Paul's comfort was so comforting. I think Paul's comfort was so comforting because if you've read Paul's story, Paul went through some stuff. Paul went through a lot and he wrote it down for us here. In 2 Corinthians 1.8, Paul says this, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Listen to this. And that we despaired of life itself. That's pretty strong language, wouldn't you say? We despaired of life itself itself. Do you see why Paul's comfort was so comforting? When Paul said to somebody that that God was with them, that he was going to help them, that God wasn't going to let them down, it wasn't coming from somebody who'd never experienced hardship before. It was coming from somebody who had despaired to life itself, who had been shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, beaten with sticks, imprisoned, drug around against his own will, and he was able to, with confidence, offer comfort in a way that was incredibly helpful for his listeners. See, friends, we've got to be honest with each other. If we are going to help other people walk through their struggles, we have to be honest with each other and admit the fact that we've struggled with stuff. But this is a huge problem. In the church, this thing, depression, has been so, got such a bad stigma attached to it that it's like the, the, it's like the forbidden word. We don't want to talk about it because as Christians, right, we should be happy all the time. The joy of the Lord's my strength, and so we shouldn't struggle with things like depression because we should always be happy. But friends, it's simply not true. That's right. It's not a reality. In fact, read the Bible. They include stories from character after character. Here, Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet. He's known as the weeping. Is it? The weeping prophet. It's perfect timing. Jeremiah literally wrote a book called Lamentations. He was a real believer and God used him mightily. David struggled with deep despair. His son Solomon, the wisest guy who ever lived, wrote chapter after chapter of some of the most depressing stuff you'll ever read about the futility of all of life. Jonah and Elijah, both of them had suicidal thoughts. 
Moses, who Clint shared about last week, said this to the Lord, please kill me here and now. They were all real men of faith. Charles Spurgeon, he was a real Christian, a real man of faith. His 15,000 member congregation that is still known to this day as maybe one of the greatest preachers outside of Paul who ever lived. Here's what he told his church. I have spent more days shut up in depression than probably anybody else here. Martin Luther, he was a real Christian. He led the Reformation. He went through times so dark and so bleak that his wife had to remove all of the knives out of their home for fear that he was going to kill himself. He wrote this journal entry. For more than a week, I was close to the gates of death and hell. I trembled constantly. I could find no thoughts of Christ, only of depression and blasphemy of God. Can you see, friends, you are not alone in your struggles. You are not alone in your thoughts. And I think sometimes we are so quick to give churchy answers to people who are struggling that, friends, oftentimes people feel like there's just no room for me here. Why are you feeling so sad? That can't be from God. Put on a smile. You know, in Christianity, everything's happy. You put on some K-love where everything is encouraging and positive all the time. Now, there's nothing against K-love. It's a great station. But friends, everything is not encouraging and positive all the time. See, and if we're going to be an honest community with each other, then we have to allow God to use our hurts. We have to be willing to say to the Lord, Lord, I want you to use what I've gone through and the hurts that I've experienced to help someone else. And then we gotta be willing to be honest about what we've gone through. Here's another one from Spurgeon that just, I just love this quote. He said, I would gladly go into the depths of depression a hundred times in order to learn how to cheer a downcast spirit, that I might better know how to speak a word in season to the weary. See, he saw, even though he struggled mightily with this, he saw, man, if this helps me speak a word of encouragement to somebody, then I'm glad to have done it. Here's the next thing, number two. Number two is the Christian community is a place for healing. See my new water bottle? I got it in a, in a gift basket from Oasis Church. It was in my hotel room, so thank you guys. <laughs> Christian <clears throat> community is a place for healing. See, every single study that you will read, secular as well, you will discover that people heal better when they're connected to other people. In isolation, humans do not flourish. People do well when we're together, okay? There's even a syndrome called failure to thrive syndrome that relates to children and babies who are not, uh, it's not always because they're not well taken care of, but they especially discovered this in the Soviet Union after the fall of the Soviet Union, all these institutionalized orphan children who they diagnosed with failure to thrive because they never were loved, they never were cared, they never were held. They had been raised literally in a bed and so they had all kinds of physical, mental issues as a result of that. Friends, the same is true for us today. We need each other. That's right. We are a place of healing. James 5.16 shows how the community is involved in healing. James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful 
and effective. You see, he's talking about each other. He's talking about sharing together and praying for each other because healing happens in community. The Bible tells so many stories about this. Remember, why did God give the gifts of the Spirit to the church? He gave the gifts of the Spirit to the church so that the church would be built up, so that the church would be strong and mature, and so that the church would be a place for people to experience the body of Christ, the living God, the power of God on display. When Jesus was on the earth, what was he doing? Well, he ate and he drank, but one of the things he did a lot of was heal the sick. This was a huge part of Jesus' ministry here on the earth, was healing the sick, and he gave us that ministry when he rose from the dead and released his Holy Spirit upon us. In fact, look at the church in the book of Acts, if you don't believe it. The church in the book of Acts, not only did they believe it, but they walked in it from day one. Right away, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, and you see Peter and John on their way to the temple in order to pray, and boom, there's the lame man on the steps. Hey, I don't have silver, I don't have gold, but what I do have I'll give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, stand and walk. Because see, they knew from the very beginning, they'd seen Jesus do it. He'd equipped them when he sent them out with the 72 and again with the 120. They knew Jesus' heart, his desire, his plan was that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. The church is a place for healing. One of the verses we use, though, at Celebrate Recovery a lot, and this is the one that I really think applies to us when it comes to depression. Jeremiah 6.14 from the Living Bible says it like this. You cannot heal a wound by saying it's not there. You can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. If you ignore it, it doesn't go away. If I would have chose on uh, Monday night, Tuesday morning to ignore the pain in my jaw and the swelling in my face, the infection wasn't suddenly going to get better the next day. In fact, I was going to become septic. It was going to spread through my body. And what was once small, manageable, was going to become a huge problem. And that is true in our mental health as well. We cannot just ignore it and think later I'll feel better. Okay, friends? Jesus repeatedly asked people this question. What? do you want me to do for you? Now, it can seem like a bit of a cold question. Imagine walking up to a blind person, blind Bartimaeus on the side of the road and saying, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Well, Bartimaeus gives him the answer, Mark 10, 51. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. I want to see. See, being honest with each other is an essential part of our healing. I know it's scary. I know it's vulnerable. But Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.25, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all part of the same body. See, the whole idea here, friends, in in the body metaphor that Paul works out with us is since we all belong to the same body, your health and my health are connected to each other. When one person suffers, the whole suffers. And so health goes both directions. My prayer, my heart is that when I'm doing well, that God can actually use that to help bring up and strengthen somebody else in the body. But that can only be true as if the body is telling the truth to each other so that you know. You know one of the saddest things in church is when somebody has this terrible thing happen in their life and you find out, oh, it's been going on for a long time, you just didn't know about it. Isn't that heartbreaking, especially as a church leader, to know, man, this terrible thing's happened and we just didn't know about it? We've got to be honest with each other if we're going to see healing come. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, 
you fulfill the law of Christ. Isn't that huge? Carry each other. Can you carry a burden that, you weren't, that, you, that you're not aware of? It's really hard, isn't it? If you're going to carry each other's burdens, it means we have to be honest with each other. Here's the third one, the last one. Christian community helps us to see clearly. See, friends, sometimes when we're struggling, it can be really easy for us to get so lost in our own pain that we can lose sight of everything that's around us. In fact, I have heard of depression described more times as it's like a fog. I just can't see clearly. I just can't see past it. It's all around me. And the Bible tells us that in Christian community, we can actually help each other see the way forward. You may not have faith for it today, but the person sitting next to you might. And in community, friends, we can lend our faith. We can lend our hope. We can lend our vision and bring it alongside of somebody else as they struggle. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let's run with endurance the race that God has set before us. See, the Bible teaches us that each one of us have a race before us. Not, not, none of us are running on the same path. Each one of us have a different race, but we're running together. It's the old African proverb says, if you want to run fast, run alone. But if you want to run a far distance, then you've got to run with others. And friends, it's the truth. If we wanna complete this race, if we wanna see what God has for our life, if we wanna experience the healing of God over depression and hurt, anxiety, fear, then we need each other. It's not enough just that it's, it's just me and God. We need relationships with other believers. We need to strengthen each other. We need to support each other. We need to speak into each other's lives. We need to pray for one another. We need to be a genuine community of friends and family. And friends, let me just tell you, our world is desperate for this. There are people lonely, afraid, right now sitting in your town, thinking about ending their lives. And God has given an antidote to that by bringing together a people who love each other, who care for each other, who support each other, who pray for each other, a place where you can be healed. So here's what my heart and my hope for you today is. If you're struggling, then I believe God's brought you to the right place today. Because I believe in this place today, you could find freedom. That's right. I believe in this place today, you could see years of hurt, years of suffering, years of struggle, begin to see those clouds part. I'm not saying that every one of you that we pray for today is gonna to be instantaneously healed, no more depression. What I am saying is I believe in every one of you that's willing, God will begin that process. Right. I believe with all my heart as you are grafted in together, as you become a family together, that God can bring health to your mind, health to your body, and health to this church, and health to your community. So the band's gonna come back up, Clint's gonna come, and we're gonna do some ministry together here today, friends. Because I believe in this house today, God does not want us to leave. He wants us to bar the door and do some work together here today. Because I believe that you might have been running for a long time 
You might have known for a long time, man, I need to be honest about this. I need to tell somebody about this. I need to get help for this. But the enemy has kept you in isolation. Today could be your day to say, yes, God, I'm ready for your healing power. So Clint's going to come and he's going to tell us what to do next. Yeah, I want to just invite everyone just to stand, attitude of worship. And uh, this might be a little different for us as Oasis, but uh, as Kurt and I were talking and praying, we felt like this is what we needed to do today. And so uh, I want to ask you, um, actually, let me just pray. God, come on, Lord. Your presence is in this place, God. And I thank you for Kurt and him just preaching your word. And God, I believe in what your word says, that it will not return void. It is living. It is active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And I believe that that sword today is cut through to some people's hearts and souls today. And so God, would you just meet us here? I pray for boldness today. I pray for courage today. I pray the enemy right now is fighting people in their mind. And in the name of Jesus, he has to leave. Yeah, go. go. And God, I pray that this room is now filled with your presence, your Holy Spirit. And I pray that we can just meet with you right here, right now. And so uh, if you're in here and you would just be honest, okay? This is a safe place. We're not gonna condemn anybody in here shame anybody, embarrass anybody, but we're about to put what he just talked about into practice and we're going to help people today. And if you would just be honest, maybe this would be brave for you. And you would say, Clint, I struggle with this. I struggle with depression. I can't seem to be happy. I feel there's a fog in my life that there's something that I just can't shake. I haven't been happy in a long time. I haven't felt uh, connected even with God. I just feel like I'm isolated and I don't know what to do. Let me just tell you, the message was for you today and we're gonna pray for you today. We're gonna sing a song here in a second. As we sing this song, I wanna be able to pray for you. And I'm not going to ask you to come down here. All I want to ask, if that's you, I just want you to just to raise your hand in this place right now. Come on, be honest. If it's you, if you're struggling with that today, don't be shy. Lift it up. Now, hey, now listen, keep your hand up for a second. Keep your hand up for a second. If you're standing next to somebody right now that has their hand raised, I want you just to lay a hand on them. Come on, church. And I want you to pray and I want you to be there and I want you to begin to pray. And we're going to sing this song and Kurt and myself and uh, some people from our prayer team, they're going to come to you and we're just going to pray for you as we sing this song. And I don't want to embarrass you, but here's the deal. I know that can feel intimidating, but don't let that stop you from someone coming and speaking life into you, breathing life into you. And, uh, and, and praying for you in this moment because we believe that God can heal you and, and we believe that God wants to start that process today. All right, so hey, we're gonna start this song. Go ahead, you can start it. And as we sing this song, I just want you to come on, just raise your hand. If you're around someone right now that has their hand raised, begin to pray, lay hands on them, and we're gonna work through here. We're gonna pray for people. And if you need prayer, just flag us down. We're gonna pray for you today as well. Come on, and if
if you uh, are good, if you're not around anyone that needs it, just worship. The best thing you can do is speak the name of Jesus over your situation today. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. That's right. Come on, sing it. Speak to you. 